Maybe you've perhaps never been to any church before or this church. One of the things that we do week by week is we open up the Bible uh, and we, we believe that God speaks to us through the Bible. And that's what we're going to do now. We've just had the Bible read and I'm going to try and explain a little bit about what the Bible teaches. But before I, I get to the Bible, I, I want to take you back 14 years and, and here's a little um, quiz question. Who said this? Please don't call me arrogant. But I'm European champion, and I think I'm a special. Anybody? Come on, don't be shy. Any, anybody? Mourinho, Jose Mourinho, that's right. Jose Mourinho, now manager of Manchester United, uh, then had just arrived in, in England as the new manager of Chelsea. And in one of his opening press conferences, he declared himself to be a, a special one, the special one, as it's become known. I guess if you were at Old Trafford yesterday, you may want to take Mourinho up on that claim to be a special one as you watched a spectacularly dull nil-nil draw with Crystal Palace. How special is Jose Mourinho? Well, I guess part of the clue is in the fact that half the room are looking at me now, more than half the room going, who? And so I better move on quickly. It, it was an outrageous claim. Despite what he said, I think it was arrogant. But as we gather this afternoon to come to, to watch, to participate in the baptism service, I want us to examine some of the claims of Jesus. Because if Jose Mourinho was arrogant to say that he was a special one, isn't Jesus more arrogant? Aren't some of the claims of Jesus about himself, about what he could do for other people, about what he could even do for you, Aren't they beyond belief? Isn't it sheer arrogance? Or if it's true, if what he said is true, if its claims are true, aren't they at least worth listening to? As we celebrate the baptisms of Coos and Glenda, Amelia and Sam, we're just going to take a few moments to, to look at the one that they're professing faith in, Jesus Christ, and the promise that he makes. You may have heard it there and as Claire read the Bible to us. It's in verse 10, little uh, number 10 on the page. I have come, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it to the full. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's a promise that you will hear in other words, phrased in other ways, all the time. The promise of more. The promise of a better life. If you go home, switch your TV on later, stick on anything but the BBC, anything that's got adverts on it, you will hear again and again a promise that if you invest in this, if you purchase that, if you watch this, your life will be better. That by taking part in whatever's being offered, you will have life better life than you currently have and the reason that that advertising is so effective is that all of us are searching for seeking for more every person in our world is looking for more for a better life for better opportunities for more fulfillment so when Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and life to the full, 
Well, it's a familiar claim to us. The question is, is it true? Let me give you a bit more evidence. Maybe we could go back to the film The Wizard of Oz and listen to the words of Dorothy. She, she sings, Someday I'll wish upon a star and I'll wake up where the clouds are far up behind me, where troubles me- melt like lemon drops away above the chimney tops. That's where you'll find me, somewhere over the rainbow. A land that is sunnier, shinier, and the, the storm clouds of difficulty are, are far behind me. Or think of Dick, Wicken, Dick Whittington, who went to London and was promised that the streets would be paved with gold. More, better, greater. Or if you go home, stick a film on a romantic comedy. The theme of every romantic comedy is that somewhere out there, there is love, there is happiness, there is fulfilment. If you find the right person, the right circumstances, our world is full, full of promises about bringing fulfillment in life. But our experience is that most, if not all, of those promises fall somewhat short of what they offer. Washing your hair with L'Oreal doesn't make you beautiful, despite what the evidence of the advert might show. Every every person who's been in a L'Oreal advert very pretty. I, I occasionally use L'Oreal. Make of that what you want. <laughs> Living in the UK doesn't make you rich or happy. Driving a BMW doesn't make you better than anybody else. And we could go on. So here's the question. Can Jesus back up the claim that he brings life and life to the full? Could the people then who we were speaking to 2,000 years ago, can we truly find life in all its fullness? Where riches and romance, where promises and plans fall short, will Jesus deliver? That's the question for us. And as we dip into this book of John, this is an account of the life of Jesus, we find Jesus, first century, Israel, Middle East, He's operating in an agricultural economy, community. And so he paints a picture, draws a picture, an illustration that the people then would have just understood. They would have gone, yeah, this is normal life. He talks about a shepherd and sheep. And he describes, he paints this picture of a pen, a sheep's house. You know, think think of a, a gate or a walled space where the sheep can be safe. There's a a gate to the fold, to the pen, and there's a shepherd. It's out in the countryside. There's a a flock of sheep. And there's a place where the the sheep are safe, the pen, where they can be fed. There's lush grass, there's water that is safe for them to drink. And as he's painting this picture, he says, but there's also things outside of the pen. There are robbers who come to, to steal the sheep. And there are wolves who come to kill and eat the sheep. And he paints this picture to make two claims about himself. Because even then, people would come to Jesus and they're saying, Who are you? How is it that you are making such a a kerfuffle? Everybody's hearing about this guy Jesus, about what he's saying, about what he's doing. 
And so he makes two claims about his identity. And as we look at that, we want to look at those two claims, and then we want to say, okay, well, what's the proof? And then come back to that promise. Is there life in all its fullness in Jesus? So, so two claims. The first one is this. I am the gate. So twice Jesus says it in the passage we just read. Very truly, verse 7, I am the gate for the sheep. Verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus doesn't want his listeners then or, or us to miss this. He says, this picture that I've painted where the sheep are safe and content and, and living life, the way in is Jesus. He is the gate. Only those sheep who come through the gate will be saved. So imagine the sheep coming into the sheepfold at night. They've been out all day feeding and doing, well, basically that's all sheep do. And they come in at night and they're protected by the wolves from all that is outside. So Jesus mentions wolves specifically. But it's only inside that the sheep are safe from the wolves. And the only way in to the inside is through the gate. And Jesus says, I am the gate. Now, they're always stuck in there. We're told, verse 9, that the, the sheep go in and out. But there is a place of safety beyond the gate, through the gate. They will find what they need to live because they have come in through the gate, through Jesus. Maybe you've been around church before and you've heard people talk about being saved. We heard it in some of the testimonies earlier. But Jesus says there is a, an unsafe unsaved place and then there's a saved place a safe place saved from life outside of the pen where the sheep are on their own where they are at the mercy of whoever or whatever comes after them They're the mercy of the weather conditions the mercy of the robbers attackers wolves but he says here's the picture i'm painting if you come to me, through me, then you'll be safe. And maybe we listen to this and go, okay, if he's talking about people, isn't that restrictive? Who wants to be cooped up? Who wants to be told where they can and can't be? I think lots of us are born with that instinct. Certainly children are. Don't tell me what to do. I know what I want. I know where I want to be. I know what I want to do. I know what I want to eat. And it's never what you tell, where you tell me to be. It's never what you give me to eat. That might just be my children, but I think it's probably all children. In fact, it's all people. We don't want to be restricted. Yet the picture that Jesus paints here is of sheep that, that are not coots, but are kept. They're free, but they're also safe. Jesus says, whoever comes to me finds life through me, in me. Saved from their own stupidity. Saved from the claims of other people. Saved from the enemy of the sheep who looks to steal and kill and destroy and to make miserable and to waste. I wonder even as we, we sit here now, I wonder how many of us have already given up on a good life. 
that we've settled. We've settled because what Jesus promises here, what the world offers day after day after day, we just, we recognize that we can't have it. And so we've settled. Settled for less, but secure in less. I think we struggle to believe a claim like this because everything in our world disappoints. Relationships don't bring everything that they promised. The early magic of the early romance soon turns into the, oh, you're still here. That's nice. You see, life isn't a romantic comedy. Life in this world certainly isn't full of happily ever afters. But Jesus says there is life and life in all its forms. And he says, I am the way into that life. It's an exclusive claim. Actually, some of our testimonies, as the guys were sharing earlier, said exactly that. That guys have tried other way. Coos was sharing about that brownie point gathering obedience doing enough sort of life that didn't work that doesn't fulfill doesn't satisfy or did you hear the closing words of Amelia's testimony I wrote them down I realised that I'd spent all this time wondering if I was a Christian yet and if I'd done enough but there's nothing I could ever do it's by God's grace that we're saved through Jesus' death and resurrection It's by God's grace. It's an offer. It's an undeserved kindness. Jesus says, I am the gate. I'm the way. That's the first claim. The second one, Jesus goes on to say, I am the good shepherd. Let me just read again from from verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Jesus stays in the same world, the same picture that he's been uh, describing. But he, he turns it around a little bit. He says, whilst you're thinking of the sheep pen, let me tell you something else about myself. I am the shepherd, the good shepherd. The Bible uses this theme of shepherding all the time to describe leaders, it describes God. So that's the most famous psalm in the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. And Jesus here takes this title to himself. He says, I am the good shepherd. And I guess all of us could think of, of bad leaders or bad teachers, maybe even bad parents. But Jesus takes this title to himself and says, I'm a shepherd. In fact, I am the good shepherd. I own the sheep. I'm not a hired hand. I'm not somebody brought in to do a job. But as he thinks about the sheep, and the sheep are people, this is a God who says, I am intimately involved with people care for them. We could work through and see that the good shepherd calls the sheep in verse 3. He leads the sheep, verse 4 tells us. He feeds the sheep. He protects the sheep. 
He provides a family for the sheep, a place to belong, a people to belong to. These are the things that we look for elsewhere, everywhere. Belonging, safety, calling, leading. Somebody who would provide for us what we need. And sometimes in our world, we we find some of these things. And sometimes we're disappointed. But even where we find good examples of people who would care for us and and help us to belong, the Bible's going to say they're just a shadow compared to what Jesus offers, the real thing. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I provide protection and sustenance. I provide community and belonging. I provide love and leading. Who is Jesus the good shepherd for? Is it everybody? Is it all people? Well, look down at verse 16. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. As he talks about the sheep, as he talks in the hearing of people, he says, hey, there are those that that follow me. Those who listen to what I say. And then there are those that don't. But the evidence that you know Jesus, that you belong to Jesus, that he will lead you and love you and protect you and provide for you, is that you listen to him. Again, that's the story we've just heard from Coos and Glenda, Amelia and Sam. These are people who've heard the voice of Jesus. And they've responded. It's what baptism is about, responding to what God has done what he has said if you don't listen to the voice of Jesus if you don't listen to what he says about you and to you then you're not one of his sheep but he's calling constantly calling daily all over our world saying to people hey this is who I am I am the God who loves you and cares for you, won't you come and join? Won't you be part of the flock? Jesus is the good shepherd. That's his claim. The one who provides life. And in knowing him, trusting in him, following him, that's where we find life. If we were as simple as sheep, what would a fulfilled life look like? Well, it would look like knowing that you're safe knowing that there's food and water, knowing that there's someone who will fight for you to protect you from those who would attack and eat. What does it look like for a person to know that Jesus is the good shepherd? I think it, it, it's like what Glenda said. The Lord our God accepted me. I know that the Lord our God loves me. Sam describes the joy, forgiveness, freedom that comes through knowing God. So two claims. I'm the gates and I'm the shepherd. The way into life, the giver of true life. But what's the proof? What's the proof that, that that's true? 
Well, some of it is what we've seen already in the testimony in the lives of those who would follow Jesus. But Jesus offers more proof than that. Let me read again verse 11 to you. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Actually, we're told again, verse 50. I lay down my life for the sheep. I think we recognize that the greatest leaders are not the ones who sit above those that they lead, but the ones who serve the ones that they lead. Those that count the cost for the ones that they lead and love. Three years ago, there was a, a man called Adol Termos who lived in Beirut. I don't know, you might remember the story. There was a suicide bomber came into the marketplace in Beirut. And this guy, Adol Termos, spots the suicide bomber preparing to detonate the bomb. And he's in a big, busy marketplace. And his response was not to run, not to run away, but to run towards the bomb. He runs towards the guy with the bomb strapped to his chest. He takes him down, and the bomb explodes. And one man lost his life, and hundreds were saved. There's a blogger, a lady called Ellie Ferris, who's actually a doctor as well. She, she wrote about this. And she said this, there are many, many families, hundreds probably, who owe their completeness to his sacrifice. In a way, Adel Termos broke human nature, the human nature of self-preservation. His heroism transcended his own life to save others. To make that kind of decision in a split second, to decide that you'd rather save hundreds than go back home to your family, to decide that the collective lives of those around you are more important than your own, is something I, I think no one will ever understand. What John tells, 10 tells us is that whilst maybe none of us could understand that act, Jesus could. Jesus is the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. How do we know that we are loved? Well, when people count the cost for our sake. We see it in presence, don't we? You know, months time, the 25th today, okay? One month's time, people, I guess for most of us, will, will give us presents. And presents cost. They cost money, they cost time, they cost effort. That's how we know that we are loved. How do we know that Jesus loves us? How do we know that he can give us this life that he's claimed that he can? Well, because he died. Not just physical death, but a crucifixion. Not just that brutal physical torture of being nailed to a cross, being slowly, breath by breath, killed, he dragged himself up on the nails to take a, another breath. But more than that, the Bible tells us that Jesus didn't just die for us, but he died in our place. He took 
the rightful, just punishment, the wrath of God for sinners. Sam talked about that in his testimony. That realisation that, that a good God must punish a people who have turned their back on him. A people who are so turned in on themselves, so selfish. Jesus took the punishment for all of our wrongdoing. Jesus is the gate, the way into life. What is the proof? We'll look down at verse 17. You still have the Bibles in front of you. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Jesus is the only man that ever lived that came back to life after death. That is the, the outstanding claim of the Bible. That Jesus was raised to new life. That there is hope in a world marred by death for people living in a world and living lives that are constantly in the shadow of death. Physical death. But also the death that comes in forms of, of the brokenness that we experience in every moment of every day. That there is a man who went through death and came out the other side. A man who was raised to new life. What is the proof? Well, the Bible's claim is the proof is that there is a man who is living life now, never to die again. Eternal life. And his death can remove our guilt and our shame. That there is hope of, of true life. Unbroken, unmarred life. Can you imagine a life without guilt, without shame, without darkness, without doubt, without fear? A life where you know in every moment that you are loved and accepted. The Bible says that that life is not possible by ourselves but it is made possible by Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus Christ, as Sam said, did the impossible. And now he offers the impossible to us. Life in all its forms. That is the promise. The promise of verse 10. That have come that they might have life and life in all its forms. The claims of the one who is the way to life. The claims of the good shepherd. And all of this leads us to a point of, of traction. A point of decision. Is Jesus telling the truth? Is he all he claims to be? Because if he is. We've got to ask ourselves. Will we listen to his voice who says come to me. Come and follow me. Give up on all the empty promises of this world and, and follow me. Ask that question. Have you heard the voice of Jesus? Sometimes we sing a hymn that starts with that very question. Have you heard the voice of Jesus softly pleading with your heart? It goes on. Have you heard the voice of mercy granting peace and pardon pure? 
maybe even today you're thinking, okay, maybe I need to investigate this further. I don't know if what I'm saying, I'm in your shoes now, I don't know if what this guy is saying is true, but, but what if it is? What do you do next? Well, we want to invite you to, to come. Over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be asking this question, is Christianity, is the Bible, is, Jesus, is it more than a fairy tale? Is it more than just something that sounds good and, and helps weak people out? And then in the new year, we're going to be looking at one, the, one of the accounts in the Bible. There are four accounts of the life of Jesus. So we're going to be examining. What does Jesus say about himself? What did he do? What happens when Jesus meets somebody like me, who outwardly looks great, but inwardly is broken? What happens when Jesus meets the person who outwardly is utterly broken? What does Jesus say to us today? This is the promise of Jesus. We want to encourage you to, to, to come along. Come here on a Sunday. Grab the person who invited you today. Ask them to tell you more. Read the Bible. Examine the claims. Because this is the promise that you'll have life in all its fullness. Deep satisfaction, unceasing comfort, unshakable peace, abounding joy, assurance that you will belong, that you will know that you are loved that you'll be provided for, cared for, that you'll be safe, that you'll you know the Good Shepherd. We want to say even today, come to Jesus. Stop following everything else. Be honest about the promises that have been made to you and say, did it bring all it promised? And investigate Jesus. That's what the church is here for, to say, hey, look, we are just like you, but we found Jesus, or he found us. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a song, which is the, the, the profession, the prayer of a Christian, that says, having met the good shepherds, we will follow him, we will trust him. So I'm going to pray, the band are going to come up, and then we're going to sing. Father, we ask that even as we looked at these claims of Jesus, Father, we pray for everyone here that they would examine the claims. And if you are who you say you are, would you make that true and evident? Would you do that work of heart-changing, life-changing that you've done in Sam and Amelia and Glenda and Coos and many more here? And we pray you would do that work through us as a church here at REC. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is the good shepherd, that he is the way into life. We, we testify that he's true. And we thank you that he died for us and he was raised to new life and brings us into that new life. And we thank you that even this week we've experienced what the joy of what it is to know Jesus, to look to him, to trust him, to be fed and cared for and protected. You've kept your promise. And we pray we would know that again in the week to come. In Jesus' name we pray.